0: Everybody and welcome back to another episode of Criminally Disturbed. I'm Paul.
1: And I'm Jamie.
0: And Jamie's got another one for you, and uh, I'm excited uh, about this one because I, I don't know anything about it, and I like when I don't know anything about it. Just a quick reminder of our email. It's uh, cdisturbedpodcast at gmail.com. Our Instagram is criminallydisturbedpodcast. And our Facebook is criminally disturbed and on the platform, whatever platform you may be listening to us on, uh, Apple podcast, Google, Spotify, uh, make sure and give us a like, uh, and a rating please. And reach out to us through our email address. Again, see at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing and, uh, let us know of any content that you would like us to cover we try to, uh, you know, pick our stories based on, you know, just kind of what we find and mm-hmm. things or or sometimes even current events, things that may be going on, uh, as with the Clarence Dixon case uh, and the Deanna Bowden case. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just uh, reach out to us. Let us know how we're doing.
1: Okay. This one this week is going to be, it's pretty short. So... At the end of it, I've done a thing.
0: Oh, she did a thing, people.
1: (laughs) At the end of Paul's episode, we had mentioned reading some of the newspaper articles from way back when. Mm -hmm. And I know we said we were going to devote a whole episode to it. So this is just kind of to test the waters. I printed out a couple, and my husband has not read them yet. So we're Mm going to split them up, and he's going to read some, and I'm going to read some.
0: At the end of this episode? Yeah. All
1: right. My sources for this week was newspapers.com, the Daily Mail, BetterHelp, ABC11, and eCounseling.com. Stephen Platel. he was born on April the 6th of 1975. He was described by a former classmate, and this is what his classmate said. I remember in high school, distinctly, he always wore the same hockey jersey, the San Jose Sharks. I mean, every day. And we would be in the same gym class. They'd have different grades in the same gym class. And he was the type of kid that he would just never change for gym class. People made fun of him. And I felt pretty bad for him because he always seemed like a really quiet kid that, you know, stayed to himself. And if I could look back now with my lens, I would say there was something off.
0: I remember somebody like that in our PE class. Wouldn't change, you know, kind of standoffish.
1: And I don't really have anything to say about somebody not, like, changing for PE. Because, I mean, that's like an ick age.
0: It is. You're right. I mean, you don't know. You kind of, you're at that age where you don't know a whole lot about your body right you know and things and uh you're just trying to figure things out
1: and if you're insecure about parts of your body yeah i mean so that's really not saying anything yeah but anyways so in 1995 when steven was 20 he met 15 year old Alyssa garcia in an internet chat room oh the chat rooms
0: wait 1995 Uh uh-huh i remember oh man you talk about some dial-up internet and AOL was a thing back then yeah I remember those days and you
1: had to tell people you can't use the phone
0: that's right yep and getting messages out and receiving messages took took forever forever. yeah I remember those days
1: they exchanged messages love letters and Stephen visited Texas to begin an underage relationship with her despite the disapproval of Alyssa's parents. Mm -hmm. Because remember, he's 20, she's 15. Yeah. She eventually ran away from her home in San Antonio and moved in with Stephen in New York. Damn. Alyssa became pregnant at 16. On January 29th of 1998, Alyssa gave birth to their daughter, Denise. Okay. We have two daughters that were born in 98.
0: We do, and I was born in 75.
1: Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Alyssa said that Stephen didn't bond with Denise. He would yell at Denise, brutally pinch her until she was black and blue, and cover her mouth when she cried. Eventually, he started to place Denise in an ice chest. Sometimes he would shut it all the way, and sometimes he would crack it open with a blanket. And Alyssa decided to put Denise up for adoption. And Stephen agreed. Which, at this point,
0: that's the decision that you made, though. That's the decision.
1: Well, it's like she said she was six. Now, well, now she was seventeen when Alyssa was uh, not Alyssa. She's Alyssa. She was seventeen when Denise was born. She had ran away from home. I mean, her her family's way back in Texas. Yeah, I, I mean, and
0: but, but still, she can't call them. I mean,
1: I don't know because I don't know if it was kind of one of those things where, oh, you leave here, you're not coming back, or something like that
0: go back home
1: yeah that would have been the best
0: yeah the decision to put your child up for adoption because the father's abusive that's the you know it's the wrong decision in my eyes i'm sorry
1: well i mean at least she did that
0: well that's true at least she got the child out of the situation right she had to do something but you know was that shouldn't have been the first choice
1: Alyssa and Stephen would marry in 2006. They had a daughter in 2007 and another daughter in 2012. Alyssa said for a while she thought that Stephen was getting better because he didn't treat their two daughters the way he treated Denise. Stephen was still violent and angry, temperamental and unpredictable. His outbursts would typically involve tossing around furniture and punching walls. Once, when a neighborhood cat crept into their garage, Stephen beat the cat to death with his hands and some tools. He then put the dead cat in a trash bag and threw it in the garbage. He needs his ass whooped.
0: I mean, he's got got—he's got some issues going on.
1: Right. When one of their daughters was three, she wet herself. Stephen made her wait in the bathtub in her urine-covered clothes for hours until Alyssa came home from work. And he would often call one of their daughters, who is autistic, a retard to her face.
0: Are you kidding me?
1: mm
0: And here I was. I thought she was going to be giving me a break from being pissed off at these people.
1: So, let's go to Denise. Denise would be adopted by Anthony, who we're going to call Tony, and Kelly Fusco from Wingdale, New York. Tony was in the U.S. Coast Guard for 30 years before working as a correctional officer at Federal Correctional Institution for Danbury, Connecticut, for 20 years. Go, Tony. Damn. After retiring, he worked part-time as a security guard for Securitas at the Cricket Valley Energy Center in Dover Plains. Kelly was a secretary for the town of Dover's Land Use Department. It was said that Tony devoted himself to the people around him. When they got Denise, they changed her name to Katie. So from here on out, she's going to be called Katie. Okay. The Fuscos were devoted to Katie. She was an artistic child who began drawing at a young age. She once said, a pen and something to draw on became a safe place for me. Ink became my weapon against rules and regulations. There wouldn't be a corner in a classroom or park that didn't have a secret little character living on it. Ask an artist why creating is important to them and they won't ever stop giving out reasons. To be short, for me, a life without art is no life at all.
0: Now, Katie was born in 98.
1: Katie loved all animals and she had a special fondness for rescuing stray cats.
0: Nasty. <laughs>
1: i love cats but my husband is not a cat person
0: i'm not a cat person they are arrogant they 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 just anyway they're they're just arrogant
1: so katie finds out that she was adopted and she contacted Alyssa and steven on social media in 2015
0: bad idea yeah
1: they finally met after katie graduated from high school in june of 2016 now, when she graduated, Katie originally planned to attend Duchess Community College in the fall of 2016 to pursue a career in digital advertising because it was said that she was like a really good artist. She created comic strips and stuff and everything I read about her said she was really good. That's cool. So she had a, a good future. Yeah. Instead of going to college, she moved in with Alyssa and Steven instead. No. Yes, she did. She did. No. When Katie moved in, Alyssa and Steven were already discussing separating. Because by this time, Alyssa had done, had enough of his bullshit. He don't work. Alyssa's the only one working. So, I'm I'm like you. He should have been gone a long time ago. Yeah. But he wasn't, so... Katie and Stephen spent most of the day together because he was unemployed and Alyssa worked as a supervisor for T-Mobile Stephen's behavior changed after meeting Katie he began wearing skinny jeans whoa do you see where this is going whoa he was wearing form fitting shirts he shaved his beard and let his hair grow long after about six weeks he began sleeping on the floor in Katie's room what When he did it the second time, Alyssa confronted him, and he told her it was none of her business.
0: Okay. I just, I don't even know what to say.
1: I didn't know what to say when I heard about it.
0: What about these two characters, Alyssa and Steven, does Katie, formerly Denise, find appealing enough to want to move in with them? I don't know. I mean, what story could they have given her? I have no idea. You know what I'm saying?
1: Other than just the excitement that it's her birth parents.
0: And I'm not saying that Alyssa was a part of that deception. Right. But, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out what, how did it lead up to, oh, I'm going to move in with my birth parents after these people, these other people raised me. Mm-hmm. Gave from, me a good life. Gave me a good life. hmm And things... I. I mean, I get the whole birth parents thing, but it's like you have a chance to go to college. You've got, mm-hmm. you know, all of this in front of you and you throw all of that away. Yep. To go back to the people that gave you up.
1: For a reason. For a reason. Right.
0: Did they ever say what that reason was?
1: Alyssa did pull Katie to the side and tell her the reason why they put her up for adoption. But Alyssa said that Katie was just like, hm, whatever.
0: And that was before she moved in
1: I don't know if it was before she moved in or after she moved in and Alyssa started seeing some of the changes. I don't know she never said when she actually said right. it to her
0: yeah Wow and Katie just blew it off
1: mm-hmm. Wow which for her to blow it off I mean she might have thought that Alyssa was lying. Steven might have already started manipulating her and telling her, "Oh, well we had to put you up for adoption because of something Alyssa did." You know what I'm saying?
0: And that's just
1: I don't know. I don't crazy. know what their conversations were, so. Wow. So, in November of 2016, Alyssa and the two younger daughters move out. Alyssa filed for divorce. Katie stays with Steven. Oh no. The divorce was finalized in May of 2017. As of right now, they had—I don't know if it was like joint custody—but I know there was times when Stephen had their two daughters, yeah. like visitations and stuff. By now, one of their daughters is 11, so he was kind of started have like trouble with her misbehaving. So he called him Al- Alyssa, and he was like, uh "She's starting to misbehave at my house. I don't know what's going on." So Alyssa was like, "Well, I'm going to check her diary." Maybe there's something in there. So this is some of the things that were in the diary. Okay. This is what their daughter wrote. Katie is pregnant. Dad says they feel like couples. Did they get a little too drunk that night? My dad is a slut. My dad calls her baby also his baby. My dad even says she's my stepmom. He doesn't even want me to call her sister anymore. So Alyssa... Go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, so the, the two little girls know that this is their sister. Yes. Oh, shit. So
1: Alyssa read all that and was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Because, you know, this is her daughter. Yeah. This isn't like just some young girl off the street. This is her daughter. So she called him up and she's like, what the fuck? And she's like, is Katie pregnant with your baby? And Stephen told her, I thought you knew we're in love
0: uh i mean that's just everything is wrong with that yeah everything
1: mm-hmm. after that conversation Alyssa immediately sought a protective order banning steven from contacting her or their younger daughters and
0: as she should
1: right and based on the reason for getting the protective order obviously a police investigation started on july 20th at the 2017, Stephen and Katie were married in Parkton, Maryland. They lied on their application saying they were unrelated.
0: They used the name Katie and she used her adopted parents.
1: Uh huh. This is where the counseling and stuff comes in genetic sexual attraction.
0: I didn't even know that that existed. I
1: didn't either. Genetic sexual attraction is a term used to describe adults who meet for the first time and are attracted to each other, but who are related to each other by blood. The term was first used in the 1980s to describe the attraction that may exist between adoptees and their newly discovered relatives. This phenomenon is believed to be caused by several factors, most notably basic human attraction, and a lack of the bonding with family members that typically occurs in the early stages of one's life. Sexual attraction between relatives who grow up together is virtually unheard of, unless they live, unless they're like the wrong turn people (laughs) Um, And this could be due to the Westermark effect, Which is an aspect of human evolution That works on a subconscious level To prevent humans from engaging in inbreeding The mechanisms underlying the Westermark effect Are currently unclear So there's some people that are Like proponents of this That there is a such thing as genetic sexual attraction But there's also people out there that's like No, this is not a thing So this is the opinion of those that are this is not a thing critics of this hypothesis point out that there is no scientific studies to support this theory and refer to it as pseudoscience and pseudoscience refers to theories that are deemed to be scientific but that are unable to be proven with the scientific method opponents have refuted that genetic sexual attraction is a scientific ploy to make incest seem less forbidden and point out the publications have not been legitimate or based on fact. In addition, opponents of this notion state that although sexual attraction between blood relatives may genuinely exist, it should never be acted upon or encouraged. These individuals state that the notion of genetic sexual attraction is merely a glorified pseudonym for sexual abuse, especially when it occurs between a parent and child. Or between relatives in which there is a significant age gap. So I, I mean, I don't know if it exists or not.
0: So, unfortunately, there exists in history that this happened.
1: Oh yeah, way back uh, yeah, when. That's right. Royal families.
0: Now, I'm not. I'm not condoning this. No. By any means, but please understand that in the you know 1400s 1500s 1600s it this happened regularly and and And, that was
1: before science was like hey don't do that right that's why your kid has 10 fingers on one hand
0: right (laughs) but i you know we hear the stories of you know this we've you know seen it on tv we've read the history books and this person was with their brother and/or sister or cousin or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, you don't really hear a lot of it of, you know, father and daughter or right. or mother and son, but but you you do hear a lot of it between siblings and cousins and mm-hmm. things like this. But I have to contribute that to was there just a, a lack of. You know uh, choices, because these people were royal.
1: Well, you know the reason why they the royals did it was because they considered themselves pure.
0: Well, that's yeah, and to keep the pure bro- bloodline right. going. But also, like I said, was it a, because of a lack of choices? Because you got to remember, there wasn't there, that were, many. there was a distance, a huge distance between kingdoms. Yeah, and it just wasn't a lot of regal choices right out there. Yeah. is either It was either you're going to be with somebody inside of that palace or you're going to be with a peasant.
1: And, oh, my God, you can't be with a That's peasant. That's right.
0: That's right. They're, they're, they they're were beneath, the peasants were beneath right. the royalty. So I have to contribute some of that to a lack of choices. Right. Now, you're, to your point, you know the bloodline Mm -hmm. that was huge they did not want to uh contaminate the bloodline and so you know i think it's both i think there's a lot of uh aspects of both in Mm -hmm. that but steven is not royalty no he is (laughs) not he is not (laughs) and so uh and and you kind of have to throw the bloodline thing out because he didn't even want her so Mm -hmm. it's like is he not even thinking of her as his daughter at this point because he didn't raise her?
1: I don't know. And see, I, should, I read up on some of this, and I should have went in more detail about it. I mean, there are a lot of emotional issues mm. that come up with adoptees when they meet their biological families, which, I mean, you know, some of them it works out good. Some of them it don't yeah um but there are there are counselors out there specifically for people that are adoptees and meeting their families for the first time because that's a lot of emotions to go through
0: it is and when you haven't been around them in your that you can ever remember right i mean i guess i can see you don't have that connection that parent that parental connection you don't have that bond right that a father and daughter would or a mother and son would
1: and you got to think about it for these adoptees they probably played the moments over and over again in their minds it's going to go this way when i meet my parents and this this and this right so yeah that's a lot of emotions
0: it is it is and you know when you're this age you don't really think about it uh as you know you go into it and like I, I don't even. I don't. I don't know. I'm trying to put myself there, and I can't. I'm trying to put myself in 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 the position of, you know, if I'm seeing my daughter for the first time in 20 years, after I gave her up for adoption, those feelings. I I can't. I right. cannot put myself there. Right. Uh, because I haven't been put in that position. Right. And stuff. I mean, I was I mean, always there.
1: We, we honestly can't relate.
0: No, I can't. I cannot. <laughs> That's why I can't condone this.
1: Oh no, I'm. I mean, I'm definitely, definitely not condoning this. Yeah, and I just, I, I'm wondering which Alyssa, after everything is said and done, had talked about. She felt that Stephen manipulated Katie.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I think it was mutual. To be honest, like I said, she's meeting her parents for the first time. Right. She did not grow up with, uh, you know, knowing that that's her parents. She did not have that bond or was able to form that bond. Now, make no mistake. I think that it's wrong on both sides, mm-hmm. on her side and his side, but there's no but. I mean, I, I think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, I, I just, yeah. she shouldn't a- have went back into their lives. no. At least moved in. She shouldn't have done that.
1: No. But hindsight's twenty twenty. True. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Monday morning quarterbacking.
1: So on September the first of two thousand and seventeen, Stephen and Katie's son Bennett was born. After he was born, Stephen and Katie moved to Knightdale, North Carolina. In January of twenty eighteen, Stephen and Katie were arrested based off of the investigation after Alyssa got the no contact orders.
0: Mm hmm.
1: They were charged with incest, adultery, and contributing to the delinquency of a minor, and they were taken back to Henrico County, Virginia. Steve had bonded out on February the 20th, but he lived in a hotel in Virginia because he was barred from returning to North Carolina. This restriction was eventually lifted on March the 16th, but there was still a stipulation that he could not go to his home in North Carolina. He also couldn't have any contact with Katie or Alyssa. So Katie ended up moving back in with her adopted parents. And I don't know why, but for some reason, the courts placed their son Bennett in the custody of Stephen's mother, and her name is Grace. I don't understand the reasoning behind that. Why wouldn't Bennett be placed back with Katie?
0: Maybe they thought that she was a danger to the child.
1: But they weren't arrested because they were actually like abusing him.
0: I don't I don't know. I mean I mean I'm I can gonna,
1: understand if he was like abused when they got him, but there's nothing anywhere that said
0: There's something there that they that the court saw or how old was the child?
1: Uh seven right now, about six months.
0: And there's no influence happening there, so Right. I don't know. Where did her her, uh, adopted parents live? New York. He couldn't go back to North Carolina, but he could go to New York.
1: Who's Steven? Yeah. He could go back to North Carolina eventually, but he couldn't go back to their house. Their house. Yeah. And his mother, Grace, lived in North Carolina. I wonder why they did
0: take the baby away from Katie. I don't know. That's kind of odd. Because,
1: like I said, there was nothing anywhere that said that he was abused or anything. So, to me, that would have been a reason. Right he wouldn't I don't so. know yeah on April the 11th Katie called Stephen and severed their relationship good for her yeah she's like we're not doing this no more around 8pm that evening Stephen picked up Bennett from Grace and told her that he was taking Bennett to his house so they could
0: Skype with Katie now wait a minute could Katie have contact with Bennett Hmm. did she yeah okay
1: Stephen ended up strangling seven-month-old Bennett and put his body in a closet.
0: Okay, that, okay. I mean, you just like slapped all of us in the face with that. I mean, that's that's horrific.
1: That is very horrific. I'm not done.
0: Please be done.
1: Stephen then called Grace around midnight and said that he was taking Bennett to see Katie the next morning. He then drove over 500 miles and watched the Fusco's home from the parking lot of a nearby liquor store. He called Grace and told her that he and Bennett were almost to Katie's house. So he's still playing like, oh, I'm taking Bennett to see Katie. So Katie and Tony Fusco left the house early that morning so that Katie could clean her adoptive grandmother's house in Waterbury, Connecticut. Because from what I understand, it was like right over the state line. Okay. When they reached a stop sign in New Milford, Stephen pulled up beside their vehicle and fired several rounds from an assault-type rifle that was similar to an AR-15. Katie and Tony suffered multiple gunshot wounds to the upper torso and head. Oh my God. Stephen left the scene, and he called Grace again around 8.45, and he told her that he killed Bennett, Katie, and Tony. So Grace calls the police, and so now the police are looking for him, his body was found in his minivan in dover he had committed suicide
0: what a coward
1: yeah tony katie and bennett they had a joint funeral and it was held on april 21st of
0: 2018 Jeez.
1: nobody really knows what his motive was everybody was speculating but they're figuring it's probably because she broke up with him so he didn't have her no more he kind of had his son, but kind of didn't. This is, but it's like you still had two other daughters. Even yeah. though you couldn't have any contact with them right now. Right,
0: you could get your shit together. Exactly. And, you know,
1: you could have straightened your life out. And, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm.
0: This is senseless.
1: Oh, this is very senseless. And,
0: but he never figured that he was in the wrong for you know his relationship with Katie. Right. So. I mean, I guess that he felt like this was the way to go. I I don't know. I don't know. Oh, my God.
1: I mean, you took out this young girl, woman, your child. Yeah. That could have had, you know, a great life. Yes. You took out Tony Fusco.
0: Who was completely innocent in this whole thing.
1: And was loved by everybody.
0: Well, I mean, all of the people that died were innocent. But, I mean, you know, Tony was not even... A part of this thing right really and you know why him why him other than he was just collateral damage
1: probably just because he was in the vehicle
0: yeah that's oh man and then he goes and he take he takes the cowardly way out how, mm-hmm. how did he kill himself did it say
1: i guess with the gun with the because they found him his body in his vehicle
0: yeah oh, man
1: about an hour after this happened so yeah oh,
0: dang and I'm assuming they put it together by the the gun. That mm-hmm. you know they they did, you know, tests on the bullets and figured out it came from that gun. And, oh, I'm you sure. Know. Oh man, senseless, tragic, horrific, just everything, incest, murder. But I mean, he 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 never stood trial for this shit, and that's what pisses me off I about know. it.
1: And this girl, you know. She went into this thinking, oh, I'm going to meet my birth parents. Everything's going to be sunshine yeah. and rainbows. Right. And I wish it would have been.
0: I wish it was too.
1: But it ended like this.
0: Yeah. I don't even know that I disagree with him taking his own life because he just uh, saved the taxpayers, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for the trial, and then he would get the death penalty ultimately, we would assume. Yeah.
1: But if you were that upset about it, why not just take your own life and leave everybody else alone?
0: That's right. Let them have their lives. Right. And that's, it's just one of those things where it's like, if I can't have them, nobody can, but dude, that's just selfish.
1: That's very selfish.
0: You know, I mean, that baby was the innocent of the innocent. Right. And there was no reason behind
1: there was no reason um, there was no reason to take any of their lives but
0: for that one though there was really no reason
1: he wasn't right no Mm -mm.
0: so did he suffer any kind of mental illness it nothing
1: it was never said and i tried to go back to find like more stuff from his childhood to see how his childhood was there was nothing
0: grace i mean his mother you know, you, you didn't see anything news-wise that she came out and said he suffered from this or nope. he had this injury. Nope. Wow. Mm-mm. I, I just I can't get on board with something like that. Right. I, I just, but like I said, he did the taxpayers of some state or county a uh, uh, justice by doing him. I don't even
1: know where his trial would have been because the baby was killed in North Carolina. Yeah, Tony and Katie were murdered in Connecticut.
0: Well, he would have been tried in and both.
1: He took his life in New York.
0: Yeah, he would have been tried in both North Carolina and Connecticut. That's true. So, he probably would have had two death penalties. Three. Yeah, three. So, so that's that's, that's insane. Now, look, one of the things that I do want to say about this, you did mention. And I'm glad that I'm not glad that you did, but, uh, I mean, you did that. I wanted to kind of bring up real quick and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but the, um, the school shooting at Rob elementary in Uvalde, you know, I hate this. Mm-hmm. I hate when shit like this happens. Uh, it's happening way too often. And unfortunately, you know, 19 children, were killed mm-hmm. at this elementary school and uh to at least two adults and there are so many issues with this that I don't understand it I don't understand why and how these shooters choose these schools why they choose these schools uh why they choose a school right. to begin with but I just want to I want to talk real quick there it's it's not I want everybody to understand something. It takes a special kind of fucked up person to commit such a heinous and horrific act of violence on children Mm -hmm. at a school when they are so vulnerable, right? When they are doing what they're supposed to do to be better people later on in life. And that is in school learning, Mm -hmm. getting an education. Why would somebody take out, uh, take the, uh, the path that go into these schools and shoot these babies
1: is there a piece of shit
0: oh they're a piece of shit but the problem with this is is everybody's focusing well i say everybody washington our government focuses on the guns the rifles Mm -hmm. look one bullet is the same as the other Mm -hmm. every bullet out there has gunpowder behind it that Projects it to its target. It doesn't matter if it's a pistol, a shotgun, a rifle, a deer rifle, bolt action, lever action. It does not matter. Any gun, any knife, any weapon can kill somebody. Right. It does not matter. What's happening is that the government is trying to ban certain weapons guns because they say they're military that's not the case
1: even if they ban them it's not going to matter i mean not going to matter look drugs are banned but everybody well not everybody does them but
0: and i was going to touch on that too you ban guns for the law-abiding citizens like me Mm -hmm. i have an ar-15 I use it for target practice. I use it for, you know, whatever. I can use it for deer hunting because it's the of the caliber that you can uh, legally kill a deer with. The problem with that is is if you take my gun, I can't protect from those that are not going to get their guns legally. Right. That are going to break into the house with a gun like that that they got illegally. Mm-hmm. And what am I supposed to do? Yell at him obscenities? Because I'm going to do that anyway, but that's not going to stop him. Mm -mm. That's what people have to think about is if you punish the law-abiding citizens, you're disarming America. Now, what this guy did, this kid, what he did was horrible. He got the gun legally. He bought the gun legally. Yeah. Now it's up to everybody to figure out, was he insane when he bought the gun, or did something happen in his life that switched his brain? I don't know, and I don't give a shit. He should be dead. That's it. He, he should is be, dead. Oh, That's what I'm saying. He <laughs> should be. But what I'm saying is, you know, don't sit there on the hill in Washington and think that this person was like this. So everybody that has one of these guns is like this. That's not the case. No. So I just, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. My, my, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with those that yeah. have passed because of this piece of shit in the families of those that have a loved one that passed, uh, this, this shit should not happen. Uh, it should never happen, Mm-mm. especially to kids that are just doing what they're supposed to do. In and their as, most vulnerable state. And as
1: parents, we send them there, and are like, you know, it's an everyday deal. It is. We don't think about because this is this could happen. We
0: think that they're protected and things, right. but I mean, the world is changing. It's so scary. It, it is scary. It is, and and for it being scary, that's why I have the rifle. I'm going to protect. I don't do it. I don't have it for a malicious act. I have it for protection.
1: I need to work on my axe throwing skills. You can be shooting. I'll be throwing axes. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: fine. That's fine. So uh, anyway, that's that's about all I need to say about that. I I, I think that uh, you know it's tragic, it's horrific, and I think that he got what he deserved. But at the same time, it does not bring back the the we ones that were mm-mm, lost. Mm-mm. Um, and unfortunately, uh, it happened. So. I, I want to say that, hey, this, this is a one-time deal. It'll never happen again. Unfortunately, that's not true. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, it scares me. It mm-hmm. really does. That's that's one of the things in this world that scares me. And, you know, I'm not scared of a whole lot. Sending them to school if something happens, if I can't get there in time. Because I, I'm going to tell you something. If I find out, I'm going. Right. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suit up right alongside the police, and I'm going in with them. Yep, and and if they don't let me, you know, suit up, they better hope that they get to him before I do. That's right. Because if I can disarm him, I will disarm myself, and I will beat him to death. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm excited about what you got printed out for me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So
1: so let's see. I'm gonna give you this one.
0: All right. I'm not even going to look at it until it's my turn to read. So am I reading all of these? I see there's multiple printed.
1: Yeah, I'll read one, and then you can read one. Okay. We'll just take turns. All right. Um, these are obviously from newspapers.com. Okay. Um, And they're all from 1905 to 1910-ish. All right. Okay.
0: So here we go. Now, before we get started, I wanted, I want to let the audience know, look, let us know what you think about this we we kind of were thinking that we may be able to do this as a as an ongoing episode on its own yeah every so often every so often give you a bonus episode
1: yeah because it's crazy the shit they put in the newspapers Mm -hmm. back then
0: right so let us know what you think about these
1: okay ready yep title professor declares that college woman has not made good okay okay Professor Leslie J. Tompkins of New York University, president of the National Conference of College Graduates, is responsible for the statement that the college woman, quote, has not made good. He had the courage, too, to make the statement in a lecture before the National League for the Civic Education of Women. He said, the college woman has not made good there are, I think, about 12 or 15,000 college women in the United States. Three fourths of these are so nice that they are married already, and the remainder are freaks. Whoa. The, <laughs> the married women don't take so much interest in outside affairs, and freaks cannot accomplish anything anyway.
0: What?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Discuss discussing the question of woman's suffrage he said some women do not realize how very powerful is their influence without the ballot isn't this indirect influence worth more to you women than the very uncertain power that would come with the ballot what and that you are ill prepared for i mean ill prepared in the sense of the vast majority of women who have small comprehension of the functions of government. (laughs) I'll admit that about 40% of the men who vote are not fitted to exercise the franchise. I'll admit also that they have no special objection to the votes of women. Were women as a body as well qualified to vote as 66% of the men? But the time as yet has not come. And that's the end of that. Oh,
0: my God. So not only is he saying that this woman did not uh, fulfill, you know, her duty of going to school and then finding a man.
1: Right. She's a freak if she ain't married. She's
0: a freak if she's not married. But also he's calling them stupid
1: yeah basically
0: because they don't understand how government works
1: right like why do you women want to vote because y'all cannot comprehend
0: but yet he admitted that there are some men out there that can't comprehend it either right well i (laughs) respectfully disagree with him
1: this guy was a douchebag yeah he was
0: (laughs) what a dumbass. okay so is there any order on this you want me to go no okay I'm just gonna start with the first one the title is cycling ascends and that's with an s (laughs) (laughs) boy did they know how to print back then all right the practice of a minister very encouraging to the lovers of the wheel while the Reverend Madison Peters of this city is conducting a crusade against the bicycle as a device of of the Prince of Darkness, <laughs> the Reverend, <laughs> the Reverend John L. Scudder, or Scudder, pastor of the Tabernacle, the Principal Congregational Church of Jersey City, is championing the wheel rides a bike in quotes, as his daughters are both expert cyclists. More than a year ago, Mr. Scudder formed a bicycle club composed of both sexes and provided accommodations for the wheels of those who desired to ride the church on Sunday.
1: But that other preacher said that bike is the
0: devil. It, that's right. <laughs> yeah, take it from Bobby Boucher's mama. Everything is the devil. So that's crazy that I guess because they decided that they're going to ride the bike on Sunday that the bike is the devil i guess oh man yeah okay
1: title preacher starts war against hobble skirt says women oh excuse me says woman who wears such sartorial travesty should be spanked
0: whoa
1: yeah
0: who's gonna do this spanking i wonder
1: (laughs) i have no idea a crusade against the hobble skirt has been started by Reverend Peter Henry, pastor of the First Reformed Church of Groveville, New Jersey. Among other things, he has issued an edict that no woman wearing such a dress shall be admitted to his church. He declares that any woman who would so debase herself in sex as to wear such a sartorial, sartorial travesty should be spanked. Henry categorizes the woman wearing hobble skirts as walking balloons, maybe, walking balloons, lunatics, and godless ones.
0: What is a hobble skirt?
1: You know, I don't know.
0: Let's Google that. It's a tight fitting.
1: Oh, so that's his issue with That's it. his
0: issue with tight fitting. It kind of balloons out at the bottom. At the yeah
1: very pretty
0: i mean i don't see any issues with that uh it's not
1: probably because it is tight fitting it t-
0: it's tight around their knees yeah okay i see so these are godless women that wear these uh, apparently damn bluesies <laughs> oh my goodness well it, it kind of looks like it's tied at the knees so they can't open their legs
1: maybe that's why it's called a hobble skirt it hobbles hobble yeah yeah
0: I like I don't, them. I, I think I, I they're mean, pretty. I don't see any issues with that. You know? know? Uh, well, but anyway, apparently, whatever.
1: Apparently, they're fleasy. They probably ride them freaking devil bikes
0: also. <laughs> they, well, you're not going to be able to ride a bike with that. <laughs> <laughs> you can ride a horse side saddle, but oh, my goodness. Okay. Title, ate 16 bananas and died. An overdose of potassium, I guess. I, I guess. Uh, Bladen, Nebraska, January the 1st. After eating 16 bananas, John Clawson, 16 years old, became ill and died at his home here today. It is said the fruit had been frozen. That's it. That, that's that's all there is. Did so, he eat them frozen, I wonder? I didn't
1: understand that one. So, like, is it because they were frozen and that's why he died? I don't know.
0: I don't either. That's kind of a weird one.
1: But even the fact that that made the newspapers kind of like. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why would
0: you put that in the newspaper? News
1: was slow that day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They looking for fillers, I guess. I guess. Wow. Overdose of potassium. Okay.
1: Maybe that's what it was.
0: Overdose of frozen bananas.
1: Okay. You'll appreciate this one.
0: Let there be light.
1: We're in our closet and one of our lights, uh, it looked like one of the bulbs was out and it just came on Yep. social status of the squall man
0: native americans
1: yeah in the dakotas when a white man with an aboriginal woman and publicly acknowledges her as his wife he provides her with as good a home and clothing as he can afford and he treats her as he would treat a white woman he sees nothing wrong with that That right he sees to it that she learns to cook. I'm sure she probably already knew how to cook.
0: Yeah, but cook what? I don't know. Over an open fire. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. Sees that she learns to cook, to sew, and to keep house. And in other ways, tries to educate and uplift her.
0: So he's trying to, he is trying to reform this woman. Because,
1: mm-hmm, you know, she's probably savage. Yeah still more interesting is the fact that these mixed marriages involve little or no social disability the white husbands are rarely if ever barred from associations with the whites because of their wives to be sure a man known to be living with an indian woman who is without benefit of clergy or not under common law contract as happens in rare instances is as a rule in the language of one white river plainsman, purity nigh ostracized. I don't know what the hell that means. But this would be true if he were known to be maintaining similar similar relations with a white woman. Mm. Okay. I'm going to try and say this the way it's spelled. I'm assuming he's country. Set loose, hitched, the ups used to be kind old common around here said my white river man and nobody thought much about them but there's so many school ma'ams come out here from new england and other places that folks don't stand for that sort of thing no more
0: what the hell did they just like did they just like print whatever he said
1: i yeah because instead of such it says set
0: So they even printed the slang. Right. They tried to print his accent, it sounds like.
1: Legally married Indian wives pay no more social penalty than do their white husbands. Because of their advantages, and particularly in cases where there are white servants in the house, the red wives are sometimes inclined to look down upon their tribal sisters. Whoa. Red? Red. But they are not themselves, as a rule, treated with condensation by the white women of their neighborhood. Generally, the little red hen sticks to her home and does not go out with her white husband for a social evening, as often would a wife of his own race. The hell? <laughs> but this is largely a matter of Indian temperament.
0: Yeah. Okay. So there's the savages part. Yeah.
1: As for the half-blood children, as they grow up, they are asked to the country dances or the picnic with the white young men and women of the community. Some of the handsome, well-educated young half-breeds are in as much demand at social functions as those whose parents both belong to the superior race. What the fuck? In the schools, too, the half-breed children mingle with the children of white families on equal terms and suffer little if anything from race prejudice or preferment as do half-breed colored children upon entering an educational institution
0: whatever (laughs) what uh, whatever so
1: i really don't understand what it was trying to say maybe that half-breed children weren't treated differently if their dad was white
0: well also i heard you say that they were the life of the party yeah they wanted them at the dance they wanted them there because they're the life of the party
1: so i guess it's trying to say that there was no racism against bullshit indians yes there was then you had to throw out the superior race in there and it's like yeah that whole thing you're creating it you're
0: creating the racism there i mean you're saying well we're doing the right thing and we're not treating them any different but We're the the superior race.
1: Right. And the only reason why a red wife might not want to go to a social gathering is because that's her Indian temperament.
0: Savage. Unbelievable. I know. How many more you have?
1: I have one more. Okay. So you might, you can probably read a couple and then I'll read mine.
0: Okay. This one doesn't have a title. It says the Kansas City Star says that nine telephone girls have been Married at Chillicothe, Missouri, in two years, and goes on to give the reason. One of these young women won her husband. She won the, him. He, she won him by the melody of her voice when she was giving him some information over the phone. The other girl won her way into the affections of her husband by her patient endurance of his persistent fault finding. Putting up with ill-tempered entities a telephone girl to a husband, most of the Lake Charles operators have already earned three or four. Lake Charles American Press. I don't even understand that.
1: I guess they're saying that, I guess, people in Lake Charles were fault-finding, and so, therefore, they should have done found three or four husbands, the telephone I girls. Guess. I guess. They should have done one over.
0: But one of them, she said, he, she, it says that uh, she won her husband by her voice, the melody of her voice. She was giving him some information over the phone, so he's like, Oh, damn, girl, you sound hot. I need to meet you.
1: And then she won. And
0: then she won. That's right. All right. The uh, Title, Doctors and Whiskers. That's <laughs> Uh, census that medical association shows prevalence of adornment. Suit, hirsute adornment, hirsute, h-i-r-s-u-t-e, hirsute, hirsute. Chicago, March first, according to a count made by the by an assistant secretary of the American Medical Association, now in session here, forty five physicians present had whiskers. <laughs> Nine, 93 had mustaches and 84 were clean shaven. 45 of those present were bald. <laughs> the fuck?
1: <laughs> How is this relevant to the American <laughs> Medical Association? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I need to know more information. Were they handlebar mustaches? Or, you know... I, I, <laughs>
1: Why was this important? Why was this, why was in the this paper? New,
0: why was this newspaper worthy? At the, it makes no sense whatsoever why you would print this.
1: I don't know. Like, <laughs> God, I mean, you putting them on blast, the bald ones.
0: Right? Rustin? Mm-hmm. This is a Rustin newspaper? This last one?
1: Well, I got some of these from the Shreveport Times and from um, one in Texas. And it looks like back in the 1900s, what they would do is they would like share articles from different yeah. big newspapers. Yeah. So,
0: Let me read this last one because it's short. Another incident concerning, there's no title, by the way. Another incident concerning the growing of prolific plums has been brought to our notice. The plums in question were raised on J.H. Wilson's place on Bonner Street. They are of the Japanese variety, and 16 of them grew on a branch about three and a half inches long. Mr. Wilson was showing the branch and plums to friends on the street this morning from the Ruston leader. (laughs) Now, now, okay, number one, this is Ruston, Ruston, Louisiana. Which, Which is known for peaches. It's known for peaches. That's exactly <laughs> where I was going. It is known for. I peaches. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. Um. So they have the peach festival there. They have you know. Uh. They and actually the peaches are grown uh north of town, near, very near where a friend of mine lives mm-hmm. and owns land, in uh, Bonner Street. Actually, actually know where that's at. Do you? Yeah, I do, and um it's it's not what it used to I mean this was 190 whatever mm-hmm. um it's city now right but um plums of the Japanese version and they grew on a three and a half inch long branch not three and a half inch thick three and a half inch long mm-hmm. 16 of them on a branch three and a half inch inches long and he's like calling everybody his neighbors on the street like man you got to come see this shit. Mm-hmm. This will blow your mind. 16 plums on a three and a half inch long branch. Mm-hmm. And this made it to the news.
1: Like, are you going to share them plums? Are you selling them? Like, you know, um,
0: I, I don't. Why yeah. do we need to know? Wow. Newsworthy. Yeah. Breaking.
1: Okay. Last one. All right. And this one was crazy to me. The title Girl and Boys Garb as Joke on Fiance. Okay. okay. Miss Nellie Ong arrested on way to surprise party when sympathy of court. So this was in New York. Mm-hmm. Policeman Curtin and Stapleton attached because of their deductive and analytical skill to the Sixth Avenue branch of the Detective Bureau stood last night at 7th Avenue and 57th Street waiting for something or somebody to detect. Trade had been dull all day and their veins and feet were getting tired when along 7th Avenue came four young men, the bearing of one of whom at once attracted the eagle eye of Curtin and the equally unerring eye of his partner. That chap on the outside is a girl, said Curtin, and he and Stapleton halted the quartet. That member upon whom suspicion rested wore a suit of blue serge, a straw hat, tan shoes, and a man's wig. She wept and said that if it was all the same to the policemen, she didn't want to be arrested. They were polite but firm and took her to the night court. She said she was Miss Nellie Ong, 20 years old, and it gave her address, and that when arrested, she was on her way to the home of her fiancé, where there was going to be a surprise party. She was going to surprise him by wearing masculine attire. Magistrate Kurnokin let her go. In the matron's room in Jefferson Market Prison, Miss Ong shed the blue serge and resumed the habiliments of femininity. And the party, which had been halted by her non-appearance, was held just the same. So, she got arrested for dressing like a man.
0: So, but the two officers just posted up on a corner of 6th Street and was like, they're going to use their detective skills to basically profile someone.
1: Yeah. But arrested for dressing like a man? And there was, it was and there was a reason. It's not like she was... Right. Even if she was pretending to be a man, what the fuck?
0: Yeah. I mean, she was going to surprise her man. Yeah. Uh, at a surprise party, and they pulled her aside and said, you can't do that. You're, it's against the law. You're going to night court. That's bullshit. I mean, these uh, two, this well uh versed detectives Mm -hmm. um they need to like get a clue
1: but thank goodness she was restored to her femininity so she could go to the party right yeah good for them
0: and good for the judge for letting her go
1: that is true but wow
0: yeah that's insane i know
1: (laughs) that's a crazy shit back then
0: wow so let us know what you think about these we'd like to hear from you Mm-hmm. Uh, we were thinking about, I mean, cause look, there's, we, we do a lot of research through newspapers.com and the shit that we see <laughs> yeah. is, I mean, and, and when I was doing the case about the, uh, the Austin Axe murders, mm-hmm. there was a ton mm-hmm. that I came across. Of course, it doesn't, when you look up the article, uh, sometimes it doesn't actually find the one that you're looking for it doesn't mean that it's not in there so then you've got to look at every single page and you've got to find it and so you've got to look at every single title and there were so so many that i came across that were that were just that were, they were stupid right um you know i i told you there was a I read one to you that basically said uh that it had two i was
1: going to say don't say it out loud because we could use it well i read it oh you read it in the episode yeah i did oh i thought you were talking about the one that no i read after the episode never mind there
0: was it was preceded by two deaths yeah and then it was it was this guy thinks that his table was better than any other one out there try him yeah it was like that was just kind of randomly thrown in there mm-hmm. you know there was no methodology to it at all so Uh, And then this guy's bragging about his quality of table. And it's like, really? Mm -hmm. I mean, nowadays we have social media. We have, you know, just so many different forms of communication. And so a lot of these things, all of these things don't make it to the newspaper anymore. Right. And so, uh, by the way, are they still printing newspapers? They are. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. Uh, News is at our fingertips and things. And so uh, you don't hear about these things anymore. So let us know what you think. We definitely are looking at trying to maybe even do a spinoff to this and, and see if uh, something kind of takes, but we want your feedback on it. Yeah. Some of these are funny. Some of these are stupid. Uh, some of them sh- should have never been put in the newspaper at all. <laughs> right. But uh, let us know what you think. Uh, again, our email address is seeddisturbedpodcast at gmail.com. I'm trying to get, uh, we're trying to get another one out. Um uh, as soon as possible, we still have some editing to do on one of the ones that's already recorded. So bear with us. Uh, again, we have a lot of things. Uh, you know, Jamie and I both work full time and it is hard, especially with the kids and things that uh, we're, we've been dealing with. So,
1: but well, we're not complaining because I love doing this.
0: She does, and I do too. I love doing this with her, and I can't think of anybody else I'd rather do this with. Uh, so,
1: Well, I still don't know how to make bread.
0: That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. You know how to buy it, though. I do know how to buy it. That's fine. That's fine. So stay tuned for those, and uh, until that next episode, I'm Paul.
1: And I'm Jamie.
0: And please join us next time.
1: And remember to stay disturbed. Bye. Bye. Bye.